0: Good morning how are you guys doing? Pretty good. welcome Resurrection Church. Hello everybody online it's good to see everyone first of all, how was it last week i wasn 't here, but I watched it and that good huh <laughs> I missed you too <laughs> no it was it was nice to be able to I'm, I'm glad for Brian to be able to fill in and uh He's a he's a great message and he's a great uh, great man of God and uh, we love him dearly and uh, so yeah so as as uh, Doug I didn't talk to you about the worship because I never do I never trust but the songs you chose were perfect you know for what we we're going to talk about today what we we're going to study so um, and something you said about um, one of the things uh, about the loving of the Lord your God with your whole heart soul mind and strength you know a lot of us. Where a lot of us in here are very intellectual like' <laughs> you know and and the idea of loving God with your whole being, loving God with your not just your mind but your heart and your your whole strength, you know and um you know i'm I'm just challenged by that because sometimes I love God with only a part of myself but not all of myself and this and lately um I've been sort of challenged by the lord to to want to not just know about him or just not to you know, have the facts down of the scripture, but to actually know Him, you know, because as Jesus says, you search the scripture because you think in them you have life. But these are speaking of Me. So, in one sense, what am I learning of of God Himself as I study the scriptures, as I read the scriptures, as I pray through the scriptures? What do I see about the heart of God? You know, um, it's, it's not just about getting facts down, having all the facts down, but sort of you're getting to know a person. Right? This is the eternal life that they may know you jesus said the one true god right in jesus christ you know whom you have sent so so, so that's just uh, my challenge that god's challenged me on is lord help me not just to have all the data about you but in a relate in, in relationship to know you you know and we'll spend all of eternity learning of god and of his ways so anyway um and how we do that you know is of course Studying his word and, and reading the scripture. And so uh, we're going through Hebrews. And uh, are all the lights on? Are oh, not? Can we put the lights on? Yeah. I'm getting old, which means I'm getting them. <laughs> That's better. I had shadows in my Bible. And <laughs> oh. Let me just say something. As we're going through Hebrews, let me challenge you guys as well. is Read the book of Hebrews. In fact, here's another challenge. Whenever you go to a book of the Bible, read the entire thing in one sitting if you can. I'll give you a break on Isaiah because it's 66 chapters. But as much as you can and possible, read the entire thing. When, when they got the letter, the person delivering the letter would have read the whole thing. They would open the scroll and read the entire thing. Even the book of Romans was read that way. And what you'll find that is, you'll find how things connect. You'll see the whole flow, how everything is it goes together, and and you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know. So my challenge is read the book of Hebrews, even before we get here, just read through the whole thing, you know. And here's another challenge: if you can read it out loud. Something about reading your scripture out loud, it gets into this entry area, and and somehow affects you differently when you hear yourself reading it. Um, and so, read, it, read through the scripture, read it out loud, and I think today, and this is when I haven't started, we haven't started the teaching yet, but obviously, we're a church of the word of God. We're a church that believes in the word of God. We teach the word of God, and we are becoming a rare breed. We're becoming rare and rare. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's this is gonna, my word, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever, right? Um, and so, anyway. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2. <laughs> We're going to finish chapter 2 today, okay? And uh, if you remember, a book of Hebrews is written to uh, a church that has sort of been struggling, has, been, has, has faced persecution. They uh, are believers that have, have endured a lot, but they're beginning to sort of rethink. They're beginning to th- uh, uh, considering turning away and going back to Judaism. And they're, they're thinking about leaving Jesus, which you see a lot of that happen today. A lot of people are leaving Jesus. They're following false Jesus or a false conception of Jesus or just flat out rejecting. And these people have endured real hard. You know, they that had their homes taken, their property taken. And the writer of Hebrews is, throughout the whole letter, is going to encourage them and challenge and say, that's a bad idea because what you have in Jesus is so much better than what you used to have right? Don't give up. His whole letter is basically a word of encouragement to them not to give up. And sometimes you need that in the Christian. Life. We need the encouragement, you know, to keep pressing on, to keep trusting, and keep, to keep the faith, so to speak, you know. And 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 what he does in this letter is begins to compare Jesus to other options they were looking at, you know. Um and when you put it, Jesus, against another option and you compare the two realistically, Jesus comes so much better than any other option. And sometimes you think the grass is greener over on this side until you find out who you really have in Christ. Um, Jesus says in this world you'll have persecution. So if you believed in Jesus that, that the end of that your life will have no problems, that's not the gospel. The early church suffered tremendously. When Jesus says, "If you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross," that's a death sentence. We are following a guy in death row walking to his cross. It's not popular. It's not pretty. It's painful. But that's 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 the narrow road, right? That's the narrow road. And Praise God! We we follow a Savior who who went all the way. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's he's sort of comparing Jesus to uh, to angels, and he's going to finish up his discussion here. And I'm going to pick it up in I'm going to read from verse fourteen to eighteen, but I'm going to really verse fifteen is where I really want to start. Okay, so verse fourteen. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he's talking about the fact that Jesus becomes a man and identifies with man. Right? He's, he he. He's he's, uh, he's with us. He's lined up with us as one of us. Uh, and he's uh, not ashamed to call us his brothers, as he says in the previous verse. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That means he became a man. Why? So that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. His death on the cross was... The crucial moment, right in history, the resurrection, of course, right? In fact, go back to chapter one, look at chapter one and verse uh, verse three <clears throat> what the, what he says here in verse three is that having accomplished cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because that's accomplishing the cleansing for sins happens on the cross, okay. In fact, he's going to develop that idea of sitting down, the idea of accomplishing the atonement for sins later on. In fact, the large portion of the book is Jesus uh, as our high priest, which we'll get to in a second. But it is Jesus' death that sets people free from the power of death. That's Jesus' death set, uh, rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, verse 14. Now, back, now verse 15. And he, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives for surely he does not give help to angels but he gives help to the seed of abraham therefore he had to be made like his brothers in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to god to make propitiation for the sins of the people for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the help of those who are tempted. Now, as I was studying this, I was thinking, what am I seeing here, God? What, what I, what, what, what's, what's going on? And I see, I see like four aspects of Jesus' ministry that sort of like, okay, I see that. And part of what, you, Doug, what you're saying today, one of them is freedom. That through Jesus Christ's death, he sets free those who had the fear of death, those who are in captivity, right? In fact, he says, look at verse 15 that he might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus Christ is the one who sets, he sets captives free. He, he's a deliverer. Uh, uh, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 are the theme of our church. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and later on it says to set the captives free, right? To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, which is a year of, of jubilee. Jesus frees those who are in bondage. He has a freeing ministry. This word free is the word apolaso. Uh, it means, it comes from two parts. Apo, which is f- uh, away from, and lasso, which means to change. It means to Move away from something, right? Um, means to deliver. Uh, I want to look at a couple examples of how this word is used because to give us a better picture of, of what it means to free. What does that mean? Because we think, we don't, you know, we don't always think. So go to, um, go to chap- Luke chapter 12. We'll do a little Bible study today, okay? A little Bible study. Luke chapter 12 and uh, <clears throat> verse 58. So this, this word "apollos"o, this word for "free," is used here in Luke twelve fifty eight. You guys there? All right. So he says. So Luke says, or Jesus says in Luke twelve uh, fifty eight. For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way take, uh, on your way there, t- make an effort to settle with him, so that he may not drag you to, to before the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer authority, prison. You that, see that says, make an effort to settle with him? It's the same word. What does that mean? It means to settle your debt. Which means there's, which the significance here is that there's this freedom that, that comes from your debt being settled. From your debt being forgiven. Right? right. That he might free those who had fear of death. Why? Because they had a debt that they owed to God. We had a debt we owed to God. And the death of Jesus Christ settled that debt. How many of you guys know what it's like to be in tremendous amount of debt? And there's the pain and the anguish and the, 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 the heavy weight of having to pay off. And now imagine a debt you can't pay. The, the pressure that you have. All of us, because of our sin, had that debt owed to God. And we are slaves to the consequences of sin, which is death. And here Jesus, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews, says that Jesus frees us by settling that debt. The, the weight's been lifted, so to speak. There's no more debt that is owed because of Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Jesus have that debt Removed. Do you believe that your debt has been forgiven? (coughs) Yes? Then tell your mouth (laughs) what your heart and your head knows, right? I don't know about you, but if, if I had a real life debt and I owed a gazillion dollars to somebody and it was forgiven... I would dance around smiling and being big. I would be happy about it. This, because it would be freeing because it was lifted. It was atoned for. That's the idea here. You don't always understand, though, the, the glory or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't always have the appreciation for the level of freedom until you understand the level of bondage you were in, right? We were Jesus says we were uh, Paul says we were slaves to sin Romans. Jesus says if you sin you're a slave to sin. And Paul talks he talked about it in Romans that we we were slaves to sin, and many of us try to get on our own. We try to manage. Like, I got this God. I got this God. Right? I can handle this guy. We're we're we're, we're fooling ourselves. We you know we we are we are in bondage, and those of us who understand the level of bondage understand and appreciate the level of freedom that there is. So this freedom. Look also at how it's used in Luke chapter nine. Same word. I, a little a little, a little Bible study. Yeah. You know, it doesn't hurt, right? Luke 9 and verse 40 has a, a related word to this. Um, and it's the idea, it's the, the, the man who comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and verse 38 says, A man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only one. And behold, a, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. This poor boy is been is demon possessed. He cannot. He is he is helpless. Right? He is under its control. And then he says in verse forty, "I beg your disciples to cast it out." It's related words: ekbalo, which is a related word to uh, apolasso. But they could not. This man is desperate for his boy to get free. How many of you guys have understood what it's like to be under such bondage to something that you would be desperate to receive freedom? People who are addicts, who hate what they do, can't help what they do, can't set themselves free, but in Jesus Christ, He's the one who can deliver. It's interesting that the writer of Hebrews says, that if, but through his death, he set us free from him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now think about this. If Jesus set us free from that guy, I'm not going to put him as high as God. Listen, he's strong, right? The devil's strong. Then many of the issues we relate to are, are if you can do the big release of the lesser ones are, are nothing, Right? So this word here, to set free, is he, he frees those who are, are, are in debt, to settle the debt. He frees those who also are under somebody else's control. And he comes in, and he unlocks the door, and he sets people free. Those who are in Christ can find freedom in him. Go back to Hebrews. That through fear that he might set free those who fear death were subject to slavery all their lives, but one aspect here in this verse is that there 's a fear of death, and many people suffer from a fear of death, why because they are afraid of the consequences of death, right, especially if you 're an unbeliever you don 't know what 's going to happen or you don 't think you don 't want to understand, but if you 're a believer you don 't have that fear anymore maybe you 'll fear because you 're you're you're gonna miss your family. But you don't have to fear being separated from God, which is true death. And you don't have to fear that somebody's gonna hang that sin over your head because that's been redeemed and purchased, right? And so believers should ought not to be fearful of death. First John 4, 18 says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. Well, if Jesus died and was punished for us, then we are free from that. The one who fears is not perfected in love. Death is no longer fearful for the believer because he or she has been released from the control of the debt because the sin has been settled. So Jesus has a freeing aspect to his ministry. He sets people free. And that's good news. Amen. Well, let's look at the second, another aspect of his ministry, and that's in verse sixteen. For assuredly, go back to Hebrews two sixteen. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed of Abraham. Now, let me just say right here, the seed of Abraham that could refer either to the physical seed of Abraham, like Jewish people, or the descendants of Abraham or to spiritual children of Abraham. I think it's the spiritual term because it includes Jew and Gentile. Um, Galatians 3.7 talks about how those who have faith in Christ are children of Abraham spiritually, okay? But he says, he, Jesus gives help. Let's do another look at this word. This word here now is help. The first word was free, the second word is help. For surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham, to those who are believers, the word help is the word epilobotomai. Sounds like a lobotomy or something, right? <laughs> it means to take hold of some, somebody and to assist them. Um, it's a present tense, so he's always available to help. Um, it means to take interest in somebody, uh, to be concerned about. Um, I want to look at two examples of how it's used to give you more, a uh, fuller picture of it. Look, turn to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Jesus gives help to the believer. In Matthew 14, this is an example that, that most of us have, have read before, but let me just point something out here. Matthew 14, G, in verse, um, uh, let's do, uh, well, verse 22, it talks about how Jesus uh, makes his disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him the other side, and he sends the crowds away and prays. Verse 24, the boat is, is away from the land, and it's starting to get the winds and the waves coming after, right? Verse 25, and then the fourth, in the watch of the night, he came walking on the sea. Now the disciples walking on the sea uh, saw him, were terrified, and they said that it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. And he said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter who always opens his mouth, doesn't he? He's the guy who can't help but talk. And <laughs> so I love the guy. Hey, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the onto water with you. And Jesus has come. And getting out of the boat, verse 29, Peter walked in the water and came toward Jesus. So far, so good. But then he sees the winds and becomes afraid. And it begins to sink, right? And then he says, what? Lord, save me which is the shortest prayer in the Bible. Lord, help me. Does your say help or does say save? Save, save, save. Verse 31. Then, here it is here. Here's the idea, verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. That's the word for help. Same word. Uh, epil- lob- lobotomy. No, it's not lobotomy. Epilambobonai. I'm not pronouncing it correctly. It's a long word and there's no spelling test today. But when he says that Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him, that's the word. Peter's walking on the water. He takes his eyes off Jesus and starts to sink. And he panics. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus Takes his hand, and he grabs him, and he helps him. Is what the word means, or he holds him up, or he pulls him up. Right? He takes a hold of them. That's the idea. That Jesus doesn't give help to angels; he gives help to those who are sinking. Amen. He gives help those who are who are who are who are, who are feeling the pressures of life. He gives help to those who are drowning, so to speak. Lord, help me. And it says, since it's in the present tense in Matthew, that he is always there to help. Jesus is always a prayer away. When life is overwhelming, when life is uncertain, when life is fearful, it says that he was afraid. Jesus comes, stretches out his hand, takes hold of him, and assists him up. That's the idea of help. Jesus helps those who are sinking in life. Go to Matthew um, go to Mark rather, chapter eight, another example of Jesus' help. Another the same word. Uh Matthew or Mark. I don't know what it is. I had coffee this morning, but my mouth is just not it's just I don't know what it is. Maybe it just I had a Sunday off, you're out of practice, you know, and <laughs> Mark eight. Um, and uh Verse 22, you there, Mark 8? They came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and pleaded with him to touch him. Verse 23, here is the word. And taking the blind man, that's the same word, to help. Taking him by the hand, he brought him out of the village. Jesus helps the blind man by taking him, by leading him, he leads those, he helps those who need, who don't know their way. He does not give help to angels. He does not give guidance to angels. He gives guidance to, 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 to the children of Abraham, to, to, to those who are, who are trusting him. He is always ready to help. He's always ready to lead. He's always ready to assist. He's always ready to be there. Always. Always. I don't know about you, but I tend to be the one that wants to try all other ways of help and then leave the Lord to last. You guys do that? Not first, but last. I always want to figure out how I can manage the thing. And and Jesus is like, I'm here, you know. But that's so easy, God. God. Lord, help. I mean, I, sometimes you don't know which way to go and you need the Lord to lead you. You're like, Lord, help me. And the Lord says, okay, turn left here or do this here. And it begins to be this relationship where you are, oh, okay, the Lord's always with me to help me and lead me. And I'm making it more difficult than it should be. I'm speaking to myself because I tend to do that. I tend to, you know... But the Lord is always ready to give assistance to those who ask. He's ready to help. Go back to uh, Hebrews. Let's, let's continue because I want to finish this chapter. So he frees us. He has a ministry of freedom. He helps us. He has a ministry of, of helping, especially those who are sinking and wandering and everything else. But then thirdly, go back to Hebrews 2, in verse um, 17, 17. Jesus goes to God for us. He goes to God for us. I love this. This brings up the idea, look at this, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in all things. What does that mean? So that he had become human and live as a human being in every way. He got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he went to sleep. these days he's exhausted because he's ministering he, he had family family squabbles with his brothers, I'm sure going up or they who are you to, to tell us you know and and he lived as a man. he had to live as a man. he had to be like us In fact that Greek it says he had to be, that's a Greek word, uh, apelo, which means it was necessary. It was emphatic. He had to be like his brothers. He couldn't cheat. It was essential that he was like his brothers, like the rest of us, and everything. So that he might become, and here it is, a merciful and faithful high priest. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to develop the high priest function of Jesus. in in later chapters. That's a dominant theme. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says where he sat down, having made propitiation for the sins. He sat down after functioning as a high priest. After offering sacrifice, he sits down because it's done. The work's done. So what he's going to do here is he introduces the merciful and faithful high priest, but then in the next chapters, he's going to develop both those themes. Okay, So in uh, chapter uh, 4, from verse, um, uh, uh, well, here in chapter uh, chapter chapter four, uh, three rather, chapter three, he's going to expound the faithfulness of Jesus. Okay, he's a faithful high priest, which he can be trusted. He does what he's supposed to do, and then in chapter four to part of chapter five, he talks about his mercy as a high priest, his merciful, high priest, the fact that he's uh, he identifies with man, so to speak. Okay, so the writer here is just introducing the first theme. But Jesus goes to God for us um, as a man. Uh, I love what Anselm, Anselm uh, wrote. He says, It could not have been done unless man paid what was owed to God for sin. In other words, man had to pay the sin for man, right? It could not be done unless man was... That's why he had to be made like his brothers in all things. But then he says... But the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. We owed the debt, but there's no way we could have paid it. Only God could have paid that eternal debt. So that the same person must be both man and God. Man owed it, but only God can pay it. And so whoever's going to do this has to be both. That's why he says he had to be made like his brothers in all things. Thus it was necessary for God to take manhood into the unity of his person so that he who in his own nature ought to pay and could not should be a person who could. And that's Jesus. Jesus goes to God for us as the priest. Let's talk about this. What is a high priest? Well, in the Levitic- if you read the book of Le- Leviticus, which basically gives you the laws of, of sacrifices and what a priest does, that's basically what it does, is you know when the children of israel they get out of egypt and at the end of uh of exodus the the the, the tent you know they set up for god to live in it becomes god's glory comes down right well then you can't just go walking into this tent right there's uh, you there's there's rules and regulations and things there's a there's a way, way to approach god and that's what leviticus is about what sacrifices do burnt offerings peace offerings and they would offer the, the priest, the regular priests would daily like burn incense twice a day, there would be sacrifices constantly, right But once a year, of course the high priest went into the holy, holy, holy of holies, and there were certain, uh, uh, certain things he had to do uh, and what he did is he represented the rest of the, the tribes to God, right the Israelites to God. Uh, go to um Go to twenty-eight. We're going to go as long as I feel like going. How does that sound? Exodus twenty-eight. Look at Exodus twenty. I want to show you something. I want to show you guys something. Okay. Like I said, we're just doing a little Bible study, but this is G- this is a picture of Jesus. What he had to do in Exodus twenty-eight. Um, on the Day of Atonement, um, the high priest would have to make sacrifices for himself, and we'll get and we'll discuss that as we go into Hebrews and in further chapters. I don't want to give it all the all of his. Uh, his uh all of it uh away in one and sitting but i want to i want to point something out to you so in exodus 28 um and in verse um verse 6 okay so it's giving you the attire of the priest so it says they shall make an ephod of gold of purple you guys there with me exodus 28 6 they shall make an ephod of gold of blue purple of scarlet Fine twisted linen, the work of a skillful designer. So basically, he's wearing this, this not breastplate, but sort of this area on his chest, right? And it gives you what it's made out of. And um, um, and then he'll have two shoulder pieces. So he's got two two shoulder, not shoulder pads, because I think of the 80s, you know? Remember when the suits were really, you know, and the shoulder pads were, you know? I know, <laughs> outside of the, sh- but they were outside the shoulders, you know? <laughs> <laughs> could have been bell bombs but anyway so they had two shoulder pieces on and and they're made of gold and purple and scarlet and then verse 9 on there's two onyx stones and on these stones are the names of the children, of the tribes of israel like six are going to be on one side six on the other side so on his shoulders he's bearing the people of israel Verse 10, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six uh, according to the birth of the other. So we have six tribes, one, six on the, on the other. And then it says, um, as a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to names of the children of Israel. You shall set them in filigree sets of gold. So it's gold and you know, kind of pretty and everything. And then it says, you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod and the stones of remembrance. Now well, I lost my place here. Um, because uh, um, the ephod also has uh, verse uh, seventeen. Sorry, um, verse 60, fifty. I'm sorry. You shall make a breastplate, of judgment, the work of a skillful designer. Uh, he describes the the work and what it looks like. But look at verse seventeen. You shall mount on it four rows of stones. The first row shall be a ruby, topaz, emerald. Goes on through the the stones. And verse 21, the stone shall be according to the names of the the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names, and they'll be engraved with their names. So the idea is the same. So you have on his chest, you have different stones, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, twelve 12 stones, different stones, each stone represented a different tribe, right? And on his shoulders, the same thing. And I didn't get to the turban part, but the turban, he's wearing a turban and it says, holy unto the Lord. Now the high priest, of course, he had to make sacrifices for himself and do all kinds of cleansing and he had to, all this kind of stuff, right? But here, and Hebrews will talk about this later on, that Jesus actually goes into the temple in heaven, not to the temple on earth, and actually goes before the very, God's very presence in the same way that the high priest would go into the presence of God to make atonement wearing the names of the people he's representing here and here, that he goes to God for us, on behalf of us, that's the grace of God that he would be willing to even identify himself with sinful man to say, let me take your bird and bear you on my shoulder, so to speak. Because I have you in my heart as well, right? To go before the presence of God and make a way for you to get into the presence of God too and make it a way so that, in fact, later on in Hebrews It talks about how Jesus is of a different priestly order, not related to the Levitical priesthood, not related to Aaron, but of Melchizedek, and that he is a priest forever. That he will always be our representation. He will always be the one that goes before us to the Father. We will always have an advocate with him. Even when we don't feel like we're even worthy of being represented, even when we feel like we've blown it, He's done that. Go back to Hebrews. I told you I would. We'll keep going. Hey, we're not Pentecostal yet, so we're not you know three hours into the service yet. So we'll. Are you guys with me? Okay. So that He might become a merciful and faithful High Priest. And things for so he goes before God for us as a high priest. And what does he do? But he does. It says, verse uh, 17, Hebrews 2:17. He makes propitiation for our sins. It's a big word. Now the word here is is halaskomai, uh, and there's you, it's a word in Greek that you can't if, you can't always translate in one one idea in English. They try to, and that's how you read. So one idea of halaskamai is to, um, to cleanse and forgive the sinner, to satisfy a penalty incurred. He goes to God for us, and then he c- performs this propitiation, or could be uh, expiation is another idea, where it satisfies the justice of God, that sin has happened and justice has to be met, and, God's, and Jesus Christ satisfies the justice of God. There's a lot of cry for justice out there, but justice was done on the cross, amen? Um, it means to satisfy uh, a sin, to satisfy God's justice. Paul says in Romans 3 that, that now, apart from the law, the, uh, the law of righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ's atonement, his sacrifice on the cross, satisfied God's justice. Satisfied the debt we owed. But then this word propitiation, this word I also can be translated propitiation. What is propitiation? It means to turn away the wrath of a God. Now that's not popular today to talk about how we're under God's wrath if you're not in Christ, but it's true. The idea is, you see this in, in, in Genesis where Jacob hasn't seen his brother Esau in years, right? Because he stole his blessing and everything else, right? And his his, um, firstborn um, inheritance. And so as he's getting ready to meet Esau, what does he do? He sends gifts and children and camels and sheep and gifts. And his hope is that by doing this, he would hope to appease or turn away Jacob or Esau's wrath, the same idea, that this would turn away the wrath so that when Jesus Christ shed his blood, it not only satisfied the justice of God, the righteous judgment of God, but it turns away God's wrath so that those who are in Christ aren't under wrath anymore. If that's not another reason to smile and be jubilant, I don't know what is. That If you're in Christ, the wrath of God does not abide on you. But if you're not in Christ you are under God's wrath, which is a very, very, very frightening place to be. Now, some people say, well, I'll just, go to, I'll just figure out at the end and go to God by myself. You're a fool when you have Jesus Christ who can come before you and represent you, and he's, he, he's done it all. So as a high priest, he goes to God for us to pay our sins, to turn God's wrath away to satisfy God's justice on the cross. And then finally, fourthly, we see Jesus. He not only frees us, he not only helps us, he's not only goes to God for us, but fourthly, he also understands us. He understands our struggle and our temptation. Look at verse eighteen. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to help those who are tempted. Now, I am—I'll be honest. I'm tempted to stop here on this first and uh, and come back to next week because, but I don't know. I said I would. I'll—I'll I'll finish it. Are you guys good? Okay. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Let's keep. Let's finish it. Let's finish the chapter because I don't want to drag it on forever and ever. Jesus understands, look at the idea back at verse 17, that he might become a merciful high priest. You see that? The word merciful is the word uh, elemon, which means to be concerned about people who are in need. But not just having compassion and warm feelings about them, it means to have such a feeling that you do something about it to lift, to ease their distress. That's what mercy is. Is to be sympathetic and compassionate, but doing something to relieve the hell, uh, the, the stress of another person. Um, it's used in Hebrews eight. Go to Hebrews eight real fast. Uh, Hebrews eight. Go to Hebrews eight verse. Uh, verse twelve. Look at this. This is really cool. Now, uh, he says uh, Hebrews eight twelve. For I will be merciful. To their iniquities. Okay? Like the people are under under distress because of sin, right? But how does he become merciful to their iniquities? Look at the second part of verse. This is a parallel structure. It's a very Hebraic thing to do. I will be merciful to their iniquities. How? By not remembering their sins anymore. Somebody who's under the weight of pressure of unforgiveness can be As showing mercy by God saying, "I will remember their sins, no more." That's another reason to smile, right? So God is merciful. Go back to Hebrews two by, not not choosing not to bring up our past. So my friend um my one of my best friends, uh maybe he's watching online, C L he calls me Martin Luther sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if you know the story of Martin Luther. Um, he um he felt like he had to atone for his own sin. He would whip himself, you know. Um, he would try to He thought he had to do what Jesus. He didn't realize the connection between what Jesus did and the benefits of what Jesus did. So he beat himself up. And my friend says, "John, you're you're like Martin Luther because you keep beating yourself up. Have you guys ever do that?" And one of the things I beat myself over is my past. It's hard to get past my past because I understand my past. But how can how can God forgive me of my past? That's Terrible past, you know. Oh, Jesus, God, the, the, we just read, I will remember their sins no more. Right? I've, I've washed it, I've satisfied. My son died on the cross for that. You're a little beating yourself up. Wait, what are you doing? He understands he's merciful by not bringing up our past. And every time we bring up our past that has been covered, buried, forgotten by God, cleansed by the, by the, by the, washed by the blood of Jesus, every time we bring up that past, it's as if we invalidate what we have in Christ. As if to say, God, but that's not good enough. You got to keep. And the devil's like, yeah, keep doing that. Child of God, don't bring up your past. Your past is buried. It's, it's buried under the blood. It's been washed. Walk with the with, with smile on your face, so to speak, realizing that all things are new. In Jesus Christ, all things are new. Amen? What you've done has been settled. It's been forgiven. Don't give it another thought. It's in God's hands. He doesn't want you dwelling there. Let it go. That's God's mercy. He understands our struggles. He understands because He's merciful, because He is like us, which means He also understands weaknesses. He understands frailty. He understands our limit. We are, is limitedness the word? He understands our vocabulary when it's not in the English language. But I could be like Shakespeare, because Shakespeare used to make up words all the time. So, there you go. So, whatever. That's why in chapter 4, he says, in chapter four fifteen, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands temptation. And we face temptation all the time. Sometimes we don't even want to admit we're being tempted, but come on, let's be real. And he understands what temptation is all about. And why is he helping us in temptation? Because he understands that when you give in the temptation and you sin, a death occurs, and he wants to save you from that. In fact, he helps those who are in temptation. Uh, He's so merciful, he helps those. The word for help actually... It means to come to the aid of, and it means um, to run urgently to help. You see that? In verse, um, verse 18, he, he comes to help those who are tempted. Uh, the word is uh, bofeo, and it, it means to, to run urgently, like to a distress call. Lord, I'm facing some, I need some help right now. <laughs> you know, he runs to help. And sometimes uh, he helps by well, different means. He ha- turn the channel, leave the scene, change direction, call a friend, call out on me, right? He knows how to help us who are, who are weak. He frees those of, who are in bondage. He helps those of us who are in need of help. He's merciful. He goes to God before us. And he did that, of course, culminating on the cross. He understands our weaknesses. He always is available to help. He understands what it's like. By the way, if you look at Matthew chapter uh, chapter 4, we're talking about Jesus and temptation. It describes his temptation not with just those elements that we see in the devil coming to tempt him but the whole 40 days while he's fasting he's being tempted and he's tempted throughout his whole life the guarding this coming he's praying father let this cup pass me there's a temptation there to do his will isn't there he understands that so he's there to help he knows how to lead you in a way of escape he knows what it's like to live as a human. He understands he's always available to help. And that's why he's better than the angels. That's why he's better than any other option. Because he's a good God. We're going to celebrate communion today. Why don't you come up and uh, we're, going to, um, we're going to celebrate communion. And let me just pray. And then uh, while the elements are being passed out, just, just have some time with reflection with you and the Lord. Confess any sins or talk to him about anything that's on your heart and prepare your heart for communion. But let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that you are our high priest, that you, um, you grant freedom to those who are in bondage. You come and help those who are sinking, Lord. That you wash away and cleanse all of our sins as our faithful high priest. You represent us to God. You go to God for us. You are the one who intercedes for us, who prays for us. But you're also the one who helps us in our time of need when we're being tempted. And the people here, Lord, in Hebrews, were tempted to give up. Throw in the towel. Maybe somebody here is tempted to give up and just throw in the towel. Lord, you are there to help even those of us who've reached that point. You've washed our sins away. You've cleansed us entirely. Past, present, future. You choose not to bring up our sin anymore. Where where else could we find this kind of grace? We just want to say thank you, Lord. Lord, and Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here and those who may be watching online that each one of us would experience that freedom, that each one of us would experience that help, that mercy and compassion, that assistance, Lord, to, to deal with temptation and, and difficulties of life. Lord, we give you praise. Now, Lord, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, we ask, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, it is with gratitude that we come to you and. Lord, that you would be so kind to us as to satisfy the wrath of God, as to completely cleanse us. Lord, give us a, a way of remembering what you did through the Lord's Supper. Matthew writes, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city of a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near.'" I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, I'm in the wrong part, but that's okay. Truly I say to you, the one who will betray me is with me. Let's skip down to verse 26. Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, He broke it. Giving it to the disciples, He said, take and eat. This is my body. Lord, as you instructed your disciples on that Passover night and that last supper night, Lord, that this bread represents your body that was broken for us. That you willingly did that, Lord, for us. We are eternally grateful. Let's, let's uh, partake together. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you that it was your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, to set us free from the the penalty and judgment of sin, to set us free from the, the, the consequences that you bore, Lord, and that those who are in Christ have been washed clean and new. Let us taste and see that the Lord is indeed truly good. Let's partake together. You know, every time you, you drink of the communion cup, you're reminded of the sweetness of God, the sweetness of salvation. Um, let's stand together. One of these days I want to I want to say the Aaronic blessing in Hebrew and sing it, but I have to brush up on my singing ability. <laughs> if you guys, how many you guys read the Passover Seder we had? The Passover Seder? Thank God we had a brother, a Jewish brother who came, didn't know the Lord, but his heart was open. He came, so he was able to sing it for me. <laughs> the parts I had to, because uh, my singing is not good, but may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a a wonderfully blessed, blessed week. We will see you guys next time. Take care.